the Compliance into the Weeds, a podcast where we'll have Matt Kelly, founder and editor of Radical Compliance, and take a deep dive into a compliance or compliance-related topic, usually going into the weeds to discuss matters. Today we pick up the declining trend of IPOs, something that Matt has followed and written about quite a bit. And it's based upon a blog post he put up on April 30, where he talked about a speech given by SEC Commissioner Robert Jackson. In the speech, Jackson reported on his investigation of the cost of going IPOs. And he found that as far back as uh, the early 1990s going forward, the cost of main main relatively constant at 7% for small and mid-market caps. A fascinating exploration of the real reasons for the uh, lack of IPOs or the drop in IPOs, including interest rates, private equity money, and regulations required by Dodd-Frank and Sarbanes-Oxley. Compliance into the Weeds is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back with my good friend and colleague, Matt Kelly, founder and editor of Radical Compliance, for another episode of Compliance into the Weeds podcast where we take a deep dive into the weeds of a compliance or compliance related issue each week, uh, geeking out as much as we possibly can in a 20 minute podcast. Today, we're going to take a look at a story uh, that Matt reported on in today's post, uh, his blog post on radical compliance entitled a more more on declining IPO trends. It's a really fascinating uh, discussion of declining IPO trends and a speech given, recent speech given by SEC Commissioner Robert Jackson. So, Matt, uh, you want to set the stage for us? Yeah, sure. Uh, thank you, Tom. So, this was a speech that Robert Jackson gave. He is a fairly new uh, Democratic appointee to the Securities and Exchange Commission. The Trump administration, by law, has to nominate uh, at least two people from opposing political parties. So, for the Trump administration, that would be Democrats. Um, he is one of the two, and Jackson, I think, took office, I want to say, maybe in January, earlier this year. He's given three or four speeches, and this one he gave last week. Uh, he went to Cleveland, where he talked to, I think it was the Greater Cleveland Middle Market Association or something like that. But uh, he gave this speech in Cleveland talking about the challenges of going public if you are a middle market company, but really middle market or I think small cap company, uh, really the same changes would uh, challenges would still be there. Uh, Jackson zeroed in on the costs of going public as defined as a percentage of the total IPO money you raise. So a middle market IPO would be anything that you're looking to raise from 20 million to a hundred million dollars. Uh, you are not the Facebooks of the world or anybody like that, but a middle market company, as you would find in most of the country. And Jackson zeroed in on the fact that the co- relative cost of taking a public a company public has not changed for middle market companies for decades. And specifically, it is always at 7%. So if you're raising $100 million, How much is it going to cost you to pay the investment bankers and the lawyers and all the others who the handlers who help you go public? If it's a hundred million dollar float, you're going to pay seven million dollars. If it's a 50 million dollar float, you're going to pay three point five million in almost every case. It is seven percent. And not only that, but he actually talked about 
when he was a young investment banker in the 1990s, there was a study that came out in the year 2000 that looked at mid-market IPOs from 1985 to 1998. And almost all of them, more than 90% of them, paid 7%. And that was in the 80s and 90s. So he went back, now that he's an SEC commissioner and he has staff and he can do these things, he did the same experiment looking at IPOs from 2001 through 2016. Again, middle market companies always pay 7%. Now, there's no rule, there's no law that says you must pay 7%, and some do and some don't. But he zeroed in on the fact that investment banking costs for middle market companies looking to go public haven't changed in decades. And we can get into the implications of all that, and Jackson did, and I have some thoughts of my own, but that's really his big point is that we have a static environment for companies that want to go public. Now, if you're a large company like Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook, different story. We'll take you guys on a different podcast. But today, for middle market and small cap companies, it is always six, uh, 7%. That's the cut. And that has a lot of implications for why companies may or may not go public. Well, except that uh, really it's a little bit broader than that, and you certainly discuss that in your blog post, Matt, because part of uh, the discussion uh, is um, the um, the Fed and the uh, credit rates and that are available now with uh, loan rates being so low and have been almost now for a generation going forward. Yeah. That's directly tied into what you see as – private equity moving into this role. Yeah, Jackson uh, framed it as there has been no real innovation in the investment banking community to help mid-market or small cap companies go public at a more reasonable, to them at least, at a lower cost, a more reasonable percentage. It's always been seven and it hasn't changed. Um, in fact, the concentration of small companies going public at 7% cost it has increased slightly over time. Uh, that first study that I mentioned in the 80s and 90s, in, it was more than 90% of all mid-market companies, they had to pay about 7% in costs. Since then, since 2001 to 2016, uh, it, now the percentage is raised up to about 97% of mid-market companies pay roughly that percentage, 7%. So there's no innovation from the investment banking community on how could we help small companies go public at a more reasonable cost to those companies. So instead, meanwhile, as we have had nearly 20 years of very low interest rates, certainly not rising like they did in the 70s and 80s, um, we've seen this flourishing private market come about uh, where there are gobs of cash in the private equity markets and uh, private equity firms can always go and raise more cash because, hey, man, it's not like it costs 20 percent like it did at the end of the Carter administration. You know, you can go out, you can get more gobs of cash at two or three percent, and then you can go and you can offer to buy out these mid-market companies. So if you're a mid-market person, you're thinking, well, geez, that sounds pretty good to me. Likewise, uh, we have also seen large public companies looking to grow quickly uh, and cynics would say that's so the CEOs could then hit their payouts in whatever compensation package they have in their contracts. But these large public companies are looking to grow quickly. So they're swooping into the private middle market people and they're saying, well, why don't we just acquire you? You're not going to get gobs of cash, but you're going to get gobs of my stock, which has been publicly traded forever. But you, middle market entrepreneur, you still get gobs of value 
for taking these shortcuts to the exit strategy. What you do not need to do is go through the rigmarole of going public. And why would you? Because the investment bankers have been charging you 7% forever. They're going to keep on doing it. They've got no incentive to lower your costs. But, hey, I'm going to help you out, Mr. Entrepreneur. You come to me and don't even bother with the IPO. That's the dynamic that has taken root in the last 25, 30 years in this country. So it leads us to this question that when the SEC and uh, Republicans in Congress and the Trump administration keep on running around saying, why aren't more small companies going public? That's not the right way to phrase it. The better way to phrase it is, why are so many small companies staying private? And the answer is, because they can. And if you were them, why wouldn't you? Period. That, that's really what Jackson was trying to get to. And it is what, you know, you and I can discuss this momentarily here. But that's what a lot of this conversation has led us to, you know, this conclusion that the Republicans in Congress and the SEC don't really want to talk about. But... You know, there's a gigantic demand for um, companies, small companies, to go to an exit event on the private side. And therefore, who cares what the public market situation looks like? You know, if you're a small entrepreneur, why bother with that at all? So, you know how much I love to go meta on our podcast, but this yeah. almost sounded to me like you were suggesting there's been a market response to market cap. And the market response I, is private equity, which can do it more quickly and more cost efficiently. I, I tend to think that that is true. Um, you know, I I see the the desire that SEC Chairman Jay Clayton and the Trump administration and uh, those people in Congress who want more IPOs. I see why you want them. Um, I see that you know there is some school of thought that the discipline of being a public company is good. They would say that we have become too disciplined with SOX 404B and all of these corporate disclosures, and they want to re relax those or peel them back and say that, therefore, small companies will be able to go public more easily. Again, if you're the middle market entrepreneur, like, the fundamental question is who cares? You know, that All those maneuvers are pushing on a string, and you can't really get a string to go very far if you're pushing on it. Now, Adding more disclosures and onerous burdens is also, you know, you can swing the pendulum too far. And that's pulling on a string, and you can get a very different reaction when you pull on it. But all of these ideas that uh, the Trump administration talks about to relax the burden of going public don't really address the fact that there is an entirely alternative method of, of achieving an exit for entrepreneurs that doesn't involve going in public at all. And it's very attractive these days. And that is true regardless of whatever we're doing, running around here talking about 404B and corporate disclosures and the conflict mineral rules and all the other stuff that the Trump administration wants to talk about. You, you can't move the private markets anywhere along those lines, and the private markets are still a very compelling thing right now. But even if you could move things on the public side, Matt, it seems like not just the marginal cost, but the actual cost at 7%, Given that it has historically been this uh, for the past 25 years, uh, there have been nothing, no innovations to change that cost, and more importantly, uh, not even any government discussion on how to change that cost. Isn't that the real factor here? I would say so. And if you look at the first academic study that came out nearly 20 years ago, looking at IPOs nearly 20 years before, 
and found that the price of going public was always 7%. Well, that was before SOX. That was before the Dodd-Frank Act. That was before many corporate disclosures around executive compensation and all the other disclosures that we talk about today. When none of that existed, and you didn't have to go through any of that still, if you wanted to be a public company in the 80s, you had to go to Wall Street and you had to pay 7%. Now, that was compelling because if you wanted to, uh, I don't know, sell to private equity or something like that, private equity back then would have to find the money and they'd have to borrow at, say, 11% in the late 80s. That would not have been an unreasonable interest rate. And like, well, geez, okay, that's there, there's a disconnect there. And so, of course, going public would have been a better way to do it 30 years ago. But that's not the case anymore. Conditions have changed. Interest rates are low. Um, and also, we have geared large companies to reward CEOs for expanding quickly. That is, you know, their compensation is based on earnings per share. It's based on revenue targets, all of that. It's not necessarily based on organic growth. It's based on total growth. You can easily achieve total growth by scooping up all these middle market companies. Um, so there are numerous macroeconomic factors that are going to exist that will make going public not necessarily the best idea no matter what the going public conditions are. And even Jake Layton, even the Republicans, they're not talking about radical change to make going public dirt cheap. And you can take any quack of a company public like we used to do in the 1990s in the dot-com bubble. Those days are gone. Those days are not going to come back. But regardless, like that, that 7% is still there. And I will give um, Jackson and his staff a lot of credit. They looked at 700 different IPOs of mid-market companies in the 2000s and 2010s, and they plotted out where all of these IPOs are. And you can see this thick black line on the chart, which is on my blog post if you want to look at it, where so many small companies were going public. It was at 7% period. Like this is a static, uninnovative, if that's a word, a static, uninnovative approach to taking small companies public. The investment banks, I don't know that they really would have any incentive to offer a better deal because that's less money for them. But in that case, you know, like it raises the question of, are all of these disclosures only a small factor in why companies do or do not go public, not the primary factor? And Jackson makes a very good argument that maybe we should think about that question. So the um, really the other thing, uh, Matt, and you touched on it in your blog post was there were obviously uh, significant policy reasons, particularly for the passage of Sarbanes-Oxley at the time of the Enron and WorldCom failures, and those policy reasons were greater disclosure for investors. And so there's a dynamic tension between uh, how much uh, you should require in the, in, the, in the way of a disclosure vis-a-vis -vis how much information uh, and time it takes to put the processes and procedures to give adequate information uh, that a company has to do to go public. Do you see, um, and I, I starkly remember, particularly being from Houston, the, the really national ire around Enron and then WorldCom taking down a lot of people's lifetime savings. Is, uh, do you think that ire is gone now or we've just forgotten it? I think some people have forgotten it. And um, Tom, as much as you and I might like to pretend we're young, we have to remember it's a large percentage of this country now that doesn't remember it because they were too young to remember the dot-com collapse 
collapse in 2000. And then we immediately lurch into the corporate scandals of Enron and WorldCom right after that. Um, now, what's telling is that in Robert Jackson's speech, he introduces his comments by saying that he was a young investment banker in the late 1990s when the dot-com craze was out of control. And he would go around pitching his investment bank's services for these uh, dot-com companies that were you know, really fly-by-night. Uh, he said that he helped take uh, drcoop.com public. And if anybody remembers C. Everett Coop from the 1980s, the Surgeon General, uh, he had a dot-com flyer back in the 90s. And yes, Robert Jackson helped to take that company public. But Jackson remembers how so many companies went public in the late 90s. And then they just poof evaporated in 2000 and 2001. Um, I remember that too. I was a technology reporter in Boston then. I remember none of these companies had good business models. None of them had any intelligence to their plans. None of them had any revenues or profits. And then we were suddenly surprised that none of them had any stock price. And like, what did we think was going to happen? Um, so I think that Jackson is aware that we, we don't want to swing to that extreme. Uh, now, there are plenty of people who will say that we have swung to a further extreme on the other side. I don't know that it is true or not, because there are so many other compelling reasons not to go public anymore. Um, but, you know, you do have to think about how many more companies are going to go public if we relax SOX regulations, if we relax corporate disclosures versus how much more risk will we be in asking investors to shoulder? Because in 99, 2000, 2001, they had to shoulder a lot. And we learned the hard way that it was too much. One hopes, and to, in fairness to Jay Clayton, I think he is intelligent enough to kind of navigate these waters fairly skillfully and respectfully. And he is old enough to remember the consequences of the dot-com implosion, what a mess that was for so many 401ks. Um, you know, one hopes that we will be able to find a ground that respects both of these realities. But, um, you know, Jackson clearly shows that there are some larger external forces to the IPO market in this country that are not necessarily just tied to compliance burdens. It's an easy, cheap shot to make, but it is not necessarily an accurate one. So uh, I, I don't want to leave this podcast without quoting one of the great Matt Kelly slash radical compliance lines I think I've ever read. So I'm just going to read it. In other sure. words, the SEC has already shot its quest for more mid-market and small cap IPOs in the foot. Now, that's a good one. I have to give you credit. But it's the next line that I think takes it to true greatness, which is now we're surprised those numbers are bleeding out. So can you just wrap up what you meant by those two fabulous lines, Matt? Sure. Yeah. Well, what strikes me is that when you look at the Jobs Act of 2012, which created this new class of emerging growth companies that were going to be exempt from a lot of SOX regulations, um, and then part of the Jobs Act also led to what's known as Regulation A+, where companies can basically crowdfund with much less disclosure obligations and whatnot, up to $50 million um, before they have to trigger any sort of real IPO process. Well, think about what that's doing. You know, Regulation A-plus already leaves you a whole lot of room where you don't need to go public if you're a small company. Like Robert Jackson was studying $20 million to $100 million as a small cap or a mid-market IPO. Well, if you can raise a private offering of up to $50 million, that's halfway to 100 million, which was supposedly a large IPO. And you, 
also, everybody who's complaining about uh, SOX 404B, well, a lot of Jobs Act companies are not required to uh, follow 404B for at least several years of their lives. So we're already alleviating some of these SOX and burdens that are supposedly chasing companies out of the IPO market. If we're making it easier for them to raise money without an IPO, well, then they're going to have fewer IPOs. Like, again, what did you think was going to happen? So really, the, this, this quest for more IPOs, it's not necessarily good or bad, but I will say some of the moves that Congress has uh, put upon the SEC, really, they were always going to wind up re- reducing the need for small company IPOs. That might be a better way to put it. Not just that they can exercise this option. Do they need to go public? And increasingly, the answer is going to be no. And when you look at the totality of the circumstances, what other answer did you think we were going to get, folks? Then this is one of those. Well, Matt, I do also uh, uh, agree quite a bit with um, the conclusion of your blog post, which is really that... uh, Jackson has put information in front of us that if doesn't if it if it doesn't exactly put things in a new light, it certainly gives us additional data points to consider. And uh, I also really like his call and you and you're calling it out for how about some innovation in um, putting together service packages for these uh, mid cap mid cap companies to go public. So really, lots to think about. It's obvious. Um, you know, you were a fan, at least of the talk, and that uh, this uh, Commissioner Jackson uh, may give us some ideas to continue uh, the debate on. One can hope. It's a, a very big, broad debate that we need to have, and it was good to call out this big, broader context of what's going on. Well, Matt, as always, a pleasure, and uh, look forward to uh, going back into the weeds next week. Thank you, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. If you have any questions on this podcast, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. You can email Matt at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. If you have listened to this podcast on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it if you would rate our podcast as it would help in our rankings and help get the word out about the only weekly podcast that takes a deep dive into the compliance weeds on a particular subject. Thanks again for listening to this episode, and I hope you'll join us again next week for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. Compliance Into the Weeds is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.